this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilt, with the Relax Back UK show. This is the first show of the new year. I want to get off to a really fantastically positive start. Anyone wondering if they should take the plunge into something new this year? Maybe starting a business, getting fit, stopping drinking, whatever it is. Do you need a bit of a kick? Well, I have just a person to give you a bit of a boot up the backside. She's got a lot of energy and has done a lot of stuff. Really interesting stuff being called a serial entrepreneur because my view is we are now in the era of the anti-job for life we're in the era of a portfolio career Shah Wasman has started many successful businesses and has brought her book stop talking start doing up to date then anytime is a good time to tackle a drinking problem or another sort of addiction it's a journey. It's not a quick fix. It's not a magic wand, not a magic pill. It's, it's someone deciding that they want a life change. Uh, and then we go on this journey with them. And at some point we leave that path and they carry on their journey of life and, and hopefully get the best out of what life offers. Chris Hill of Beat My Addiction gives sensible and practical help. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alka-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alka-Cells. Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide, where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells. Life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. I really enjoyed my chat with Shah Wasman, MBE. She's done all kinds of things, including being a manager in the rather murky world of boxing. She's been awarded an MBE, so I started by asking her, actually, what does MBE stand for? A member of the British Empire, uh, no less. And uh, I have that to say- That's very impressive. Well, I have to say, I am very proud of it. I'm not particularly a royalist. Um, I'm not anti-royalist either. I'm kind of agnostic. But for me, the reason why I'm proud of it is it, it was given to me for my services to business and entrepreneurship. And actually, you know, for, for me coming from a single parent family, growing up on a council estate with absolutely no money, no role models around me, to be able to go from that to going to Buckingham Palace and being awarded an MBE from the Queen for my services to entrepreneurship and uh, business in the UK, that I'm really proud of that because I just feel like, you know, there are so many people who could do so much more if somebody just gave them a helping hand uh, and somebody just opened a door or somebody had just switched on a light for them. And so to be recognised for doing that is, um, yeah, I'm really proud of it. Brilliant. OK, well, congratulations. Let's Thanks. let's um, examine some of the things you've done. I don't think we've got time to go through them all. But the first thing that caught my eye was um, being a boxing manager at a very early age. So um, intriguing. What on earth does a boxing manager get up to? Because it strikes me as potentially rather a murky world. 
Well, I will give you the short version of this. The short version is I was studying economics at the London School of Economics, and I don't share that to be a braggadocious twat. I share it for context and maybe uh, the kind of the, the, the really bizarre world that I was living in at that time. So I'm doing economics at LSE. I win a competition to write for Cosmopolitan magazine because even though um, I was at LSE, truthfully, I'm a creative at heart, and I really wanted to pursue a career being creative, not working in the city or in a bank or, or, or you know, being a broker. That didn't really light my fire. Oh, no, so I wanted to be creative doing that, but that's maybe another story. <laughs> you can be, but that's not the kind of creative that I wanted to be. Um, so I was working for Cosmopolitan magazine and uh, I took some letter-headed paper home and I wrote a letter to Chris Eubank Sr., at, uh, he was a super middleweight champion at the time, and he offered me a job when I interviewed him. That's the very short version of it. So I ended up doing my degree and working for Chris Eubanks Senior full time. And I have to tell you, it was, you know, one of the highlights of my whole entire life. It was batshit crazy, but it was a baptism of fire. And it was probably better than M any MBA you could have received going to Harvard or any of these posh places where it would have cost you, you know, hundreds of thousands to have got an MBA. And um, so whilst I was working with Chris, I really just fell in love with the world of boxing. And my granddad had been an amateur boxer. I'd always been um, a fan of boxing, which is why I wrote to Chris in the first place and and uh, asked to interview him. And then the more I got involved in the, the, the sport, the more I felt, well, first of all, there's no women in this industry, so I'm going to do something about that. And uh, I felt like there's also, as you quite rightly said, it's a little bit murky. So I'm going to protect my fighters because you know what? I, I'm I'm pretty street smart as well as academically smart. I know my way around a contract. I can see how they're all being screwed over. And that's not going to happen on my watch. So I actually took my exams at the British Boxing Board of Control. I got my license to uh, become a um, boxing manager. I worked with Chris until he retired. I then worked with um, a guy called Howard Eastman, who became the British European Commonwealth uh, champion. And then he had two world title fights in Vegas. So I worked with Don King and Barry Hearn and Frank Warren and kind of there was no women in the industry whatsoever. And um, I kid you not, half the time people thought I was a ring card girl. I remember uh, watching on the TV, an interview with Chris Eubank. And I, I can't remember who whose show it was. Maybe it was Graham Norton. It was some lo something it like was that. Jonathan Ross. It was Jonathan Ross. He was wearing a, a riding outfit and sporting a riding crop. And at the time, I thought, what a strange man. Now, but the point is, that was like over 20 years ago, and I can remember it. So were you behind that little bit of PR? Yes, and that all started, um, we worked really well together. And it's quite interesting. I was actually speaking to him yesterday. So we've stayed in touch all these years later. So how that all happened was, don't get me wrong, I can't take all the credit for it. Chris already had his own batshit, crazy, creative ideas. And I think I just kind of added he to it. Crazy. He came across as crazy. Yeah, he's not actually crazy. He's just eccentric. There is a difference between being eccentric and being crazy, right? And, you know, one of the things that I learned from him is that so many people sit on the bylines of life talking about all the things that they want to do and they never actually get in the ring. They never get in the ring and do it. They they just talk about it all the time. And he was such a doer. And so we constructed all kinds of strategies to make sure that no matter who he was fighting, the press only talked about him. And turning up at a press conference with Nigel Benn on a, you know, on a white stallion in his joppers and his monocle and his boot. I mean, Ben was overshadowed. Like, if you look at the press coverage, 95% of the press coverage was all about Chris and it was all photos of Chris. And so every time there was a big fight and every time there was a big press conference, we just had to come up with some right. new elaborate plan, right? But it worked every time. Well, certainly I, I remember it. And you know what? I'm not really into boxing. So, yeah, it, it, it definitely works. works. It works. Yeah. So, all right. So you, you had this time in this kind of bizarre world of, of boxing and, and then something kind of a little more dull, vacuum cleaners. I can't. <laughs> I mean, you, cannot call, 
you cannot call Dyson dull. So basically, after Chris retired, I had another um, strange encounter. Uh, you know, one of those just fortuitous moments in your life. I met Sir James Dyson before anybody knew who he was. And I started working with him from around a kitchen table. And I spent five years helping him build up the Dyson brand. And again, it was a phenomenal experience. Again, just like doing another MBA, just in a different sector. I feel like, you know, I've had some really great opportunities in my life and I am incredibly grateful. And um, it, it was a similar challenge because back then, you know, nobody was really interested in talking about a vacuum cleaner. Why would you be? It's not really that sexy or exciting. However, his story is. And so what happened was, he had all these PR companies pitching him to take on the Dyson account. And I, we had a mutual friend in common and they suggested that he met me. And so through my naivety, genuinely, because, you know, one of the things about, you know, the naivety of youth is you don't have the same kind of filters or barriers as you go, oh, I can't say that or I shouldn't do that or, or oh, that might be a bit too risky or you, you just don't have those things. So what happened was, I just said, I think all these agencies are wrong, James. I don't think this is about the vacuum cleaner at all, because if we make it about a product right now, you're just one product against all these other products that everybody knows. And Hoover is a verb in the dictionary. Yeah, This is about you. You see, when you compare product versus product, it's just a product. But when we compare an entrepreneur and an engineer against, to be quite honest, a gray man in a gray suit with a gray washed out shirt, you shine and so that's how we that's that's the stand we took we really focus on james as a personal brand as a as an individual as opposed to just focusing on i wasn't interested in trying to get pr for a vacuum cleaner i wanted to help create a brand and off the back of that we sold a shit ton of vacuum cleaners so was 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 he happy kind of for that to happen did he kind of let you get on with the pr or, or was he or, or like involved he was he was amazing. I, I mean, honestly, he trusted me so much. Uh, and um, he, he was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Incredible person to work with. And absolute out and out, 100% genius. So this all happened like before you were 30. This was, you were young. Yep, I was in my, I was in my mid-20s at that point. Fantastic. And then you started set, setting up businesses. So you've been sort of, Described as a, a serial entrepreneur, I think, setting up loads of businesses. Um, have you got a favourite? The one that I'm working on right now that nobody knows about, probably. Yeah, I'm building a software company right now um, that will launch next year in the coaching space because I'm a really big fan of uh, personal development and coaching. I think it has the ability to change people's lives. And I think that when we're in a, a world where we've become so much more aware of the importance of good mental health and supporting people. To me, therapy is um, typically about cure. So we, we go to therapy when our problems have been, have got to a stage where they're too big for us to be able to solve ourselves. And coaching for me, in the main part, not completely, but is actually prevention. So if we can put, you know, if we can actually encourage people to seek out coaching in the same way you'd seek out a personal trainer, you, you right. wouldn't think, twice about having a personal trainer you, you you would be like well of course I have a personal trainer because they will be able to create a plan for me to be able to improve my strength my physical ability my weight loss or whatever your goals are and I want people to think like that about having a coach because actually a coach whether it's a life coach to help you navigate certain challenging periods of time or it's a career coach helping you figure out what your next career move is or it's a business coach helping you grow your business there is no successful team in the world that doesn't have a coach, period. There's no football team, no cricket team. There's no boxer. There's no athlete. There, no one in the sporting world has success of an Olympic level or a world-class level without the support of a coach. That's a fact. Yeah. So okay. why would we Why would we not do that? So uh, is this coach uh, a robot or a person? No. No, it's a platform and it connects coaches with people who want to be coached. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't mind being called a serial entrepreneur because my view is we are now in the era of the anti-job for life. We're in the area of a portfolio career. We're in the area of actually, if I take my book, it's like this. 
it's we have different chapters in our books right and that's what our careers are like and that's what businesses are like but also if you think about it, the way technology has changed so dramatically over the last 20 years opportunities change so quickly because yeah. if you think the opportunities that social social media has created i mean social media has created multi multi actually social media has created billionaires out of some influencers who don't do nothing like you know like kylie jenner for example she she has created a billion. I, I don't know who that is. I don't move okay. in this world. <laughs> All right. No, but it's really interesting because it's not about an age demographic. It's it's there, there's plenty of people across social media of all different ages who are building businesses on social media. And the only reason I use that as an example is to say that previously, one decade was quite similar to the next decade with incremental shifts and changes in technology. But the last 20 years have seen such a plethora of change across how we communicate that is also, I think, certainly from my experience, created so many more business opportunities. You might have sort of answered my next question in, in some ways, because I have to admit, sometimes, and this, so I'm I'm 56, all right, so I, I do get all this modern things change quickly, but I've also got a foot in the other camp. And to some extent, get a bit um what's the right word uh dubious of people that set up lots of businesses sell them and move on i think what was wrong with that business why did you have to get rid of it so quickly and, and just feel a little bit suspicious depends should, on what I you mean by should i be suspicious of you sha <laughs> it depends on what you mean by quickly right i don't believe running a business for five years and exiting is quick five years is a long time yeah, five guess... years is 60 months. We can keep going. How many hours and minutes is five years? It's a long time. Now, if somebody sets up a business and is able to exit within 12 months, I wouldn't be suspicious of them. I would think they were they were either lucky or a genius or potentially both. Because what will happen is if you set up a business and you're able to sell it within a year, you've obviously set up something at exactly the right time and you got in early and some bigger companies looking at you thinking, You've already got a market share, but if we had our audience, we can make more money. So they want to come in and buy that to save themselves time. It's just economics. It's not, you know, it's not any different. And I, I suppose because things change so fast now um, that things do move just a lot more quickly than they did 30, 40 years ago. And that's just a fact oh. of life now. However, Mike, there is something quite interesting that I think is happening right now. So whilst I've just said everything I've just said about the fast pace and the moving and the technology and all the opportunities it brings, I actually think we are now going into a period of time where we're craving nostalgia, where actually what we're craving is more simplicity. We're craving time off of social media. We're craving time off of our phone. We're craving time off of our Zoom calls. So I think that we'll see if i'm right in two years time i think that what we're going to find is over the next five years you're going to see things like an increase well I, you know I, I wrote about this in my book that, that there is actually a waiting list for allotments and that waiting list is increasing every single year and that is about as basic as it gets right because there's no technology in an allotment and but the waiting list every year there are more and more people who the demand for allotments grows every single year so why I'm is one that? of those people on that list. And I did not know that, did I, Mike? No. <laughs> right? And you, one of the things you'd be surprised about is the age demographics of people who are on that list. It is not all over 50 or 60. It is people in their 20s and their 30s who are craving downtime and peaceful time and simple time where they're not constantly bombarded by more and more messaging. They just want to sit there with their tomatoes. And there's, yeah, what a nice thing. And you can even eat the tomatoes occasionally as well. Exactly. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I wonder what businesses will, um, they're probably already um, being created with uh, that sort of shift in mind. Um, I uh, yeah I, I'm not about to launch uh, another business. I, I I do run my own business, and the the thing that I found, and this is kind of I should have read your book a few years ago, um, is that always every single day, certainly at the start of running a business, 
is like you're doing something you haven't done before and it's all a bit scary. So this title, Stop Talking and Start Doing, because I, I, I really, that really chimes with me. What the, the analogy I use, you know, in the film Braveheart, when the, all the, the, the Scottish have just made those long spears, right? And the, the English are charging at them on horses, right? I feel like that all the time. I feel like I've been charged at. What the hell's going to happen next? I think I could have um, read your book a while ago and it would have been probably quite useful to me. But who, who was it aimed at when you first wrote it? Well, it's definitely not aimed at business people per se. It's aimed at anyone who has got what I call an itch to do something. Whether you feel like you're stagnated in your career or you feel like you're stuck in a relationship or you're just frustrated with yourself because you've got hopes and dreams. You know, it's like we, we've all got these friends who talk to us about how they want to run a marathon or they want to give up smoking or they want to get married or they want to move to the south of France or they want to start up their own business. And then a year later, they're talking about exactly the same thing and they haven't made any progress towards that. Now, I'm that annoying friend that gets really frustrated because it's not that everything I do works. I want to be really clear about that. I'm not that arrogant and I'm not that good. Right. The truth is a lot of stuff that I try doesn't work but what I don't do is not try so I get really frustrated with my friends I'm like why are you still talking why haven't you like do you even know how much the house in the south of France that you want costs no well how are you going to buy it then if you don't even know how much it costs and so my whole thing is we're a long time dead right and and you know I'm sure you've heard of the five regrets of the dying and and all of the, the studies around how people feel when they're in their final moments or their final day, when they look back on their life, what did they regret? What do they wish they'd done more of or less of? And it's always the same thing. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. It's always their regret is not being more true to themselves and pursuing their dreams. It's not trying to do the things that they wanted to do, whether it was, I just wish I'd run a marathon once. I just wish I hadn't stayed in an unhappy marriage for 20 years and I just got out and I had the opportunity to meet somebody that could have actually made me happy or I could make or we could have made each other happy or I wish I hadn't just stayed in that career because it felt safe even though I hated it I wish I'd given myself a chance to go and set up my own business I wish I'd written a book I wish I'd started a podcast I wish I'd got really fit because actually now when I hit 60 and I'm carrying an extra 30 pounds if I'd handled that when I was 40 I wouldn't be in this situation today all of those things it's not about you know it's it's not a business book it's a it's what actually uh waterstones called smart thinking it's a cross between business development and personal development sure. because it is very much about you know when you when you look at it it's a super easy read right it's, it's got a ton of pictures and and uh, uh graphs in it and the reason that it's very visual is because there's a huge amount of research that shows that we remember things far better when there's a visual element, exactly why you remember Chris Eubank, because there was a visual element attached to the story or the learning, right? So that's, I have a kind of a style of writing that is always very visual with the written word, because I want people to remember things. It's what I call inhalable content. You could pick this book up. And, and by the way, can I just share with you, it's currently number one in the nonfiction charts at WH Smith's, number one. So I'm very proud of that. Was that um, number one, you said, Shah? Yes, it was number one okay. in the number all right. one. I just, I, all right. <laughs> just for anyone yeah. who didn't hear. So, <laughs> yeah, I, so, so this, this, okay, I said, I, probably I should have read this book a while ago, first of all, to give me the kick to start my business. I, I did start the business anyway. But it's, so it sounds very useful. Um, in its first form, why did it need updating? Surely was kind of the same. We still need a bit of a push. So well, why update it? Yeah, well, it's interesting because the first time around, it was W.H. Smith's best-selling non-fiction book for 14 months in a row. So that's over a year, right? So it broke all of their records. And to this day, no book has broken that record. So I think that this topic of procrastination is um, a perennial favorite because we are all plagued with procrastination. However, the things that suck our time today are very different to what they were 10 years ago. So actually, all the things we're talking about, you know, 10 minutes ago, technology today is different than it was 10 years ago. Social media is different today. The amount we are bombarded 
it's so easy to waste hours and hours of Netflix, Apple TV, Prime Video. How many times have you wasted hours on end without even realizing it? You might not do that, but I guarantee you some of your listeners yeah. do. No, I am, I'm pretty bad. Uh, in, in spite of, you know, running my own business and doing things, I I, I, I can go down the sort of time-wasting rabbit holes. Yeah. yeah, but we all can. And so uh, it's about 60% of the content is fully updated to take into consideration all the ways in which we currently procrastinate, all the things that steal our time. Um, I created a cool little quiz for people as well so they can do this quiz and it will tell you exactly where your time is being stolen, who's stealing your time, right? Is it is it social media? Is it just absolute procrastination? Is it the TV? Is it this? You know, there's a variety of things that most of us are guilty of. And, and it's usually one thing that, that's a bigger pull for you than it is for other people. But obviously, you know, we're, we're all a little bit different. But the reason to update it was because technology's changed. And so the things that, that suck our time have changed. It was also to take into consideration the impact of the pandemic, spending two years essentially at home and not having to, you know, commute to work. Um, what impact did that have on us? Is it, did that mean that these extra two hours we had every day, we suddenly started using them more efficiently? Or is the reverse tr true? Did we actually start to procrastinate more? Because I think during the pandemic, for a lot of us, time seemed to stand still. Like, there were some moments where I was like, I don't even know, is it Tuesday or Thursday? Like, is it May or June? Like, I, and, and all of that has an impact on our propensity for taking action. And so I updated the book to take all of that into consideration and to say, right, what do you do in 2022, 2023, 2024 to help yourself stop talking and start doing? And why do I want people to do that? It's really simple. Because if you are to fulfill your greatest human potential, you're not going to do it by talking or thinking about the things that you want to do, you're going to do it by doing the things that you want to do. You're right. Uh, earlier on, you, you said that you're one of those uh, uh, annoying friends that if your friend's saying, oh, I, I wish I could start a new life in the south of France or is it a few months on, you say, all right, well, look, what have you done towards it? Let's, let's just turn it around. Do any of your friends say to you, come on, you haven't done this yet. And what is it you haven't yet done? Because I find it hard to imagine there's that many things you haven't done yet. But is, is there anything that you haven't quite got around to yet? You would be amazed. Do you know why I wrote the book? Because my number one way to self-sabotage, by the way, we all self-sabotage. There isn't a person on this planet who doesn't self-sabotage to one degree or another. Well, you've got to have an excuse in case something doesn't work, haven't you? Isn't that the of point? Of course. Yeah, yeah we're, we're all human, right? So ironically, my number one way to, to self-sabotage is to procrastinate because I'm not lazy. I'm a, I've got a really great work ethic. So what I know is when I start to procrastinate, I know that's me getting in my own way. So now I'm self-aware enough to go, okay, Shah, you're doing that shit again. You're, you're, you're procrastinating. Why are you procrastinating? Because actually, typically we procrastinate on the things that we really want to do. We procrastinate on the things that actually really mean something to us, whether that's out of fear of failure or fear of success. There's all kinds of psychology behind it. But we typically don't procrastinate on the stuff that doesn't mean very much, right? We just get it done. But the stuff that's actually potentially life-changing, we keep pushing off and pushing back. And so okay. even writing a book, I pushed that off for ages and ages and ages. I took three years to write my first book. Like, so I almost wrote the book for myself. So yes. I, my friends do one of two things. They either say to me, oh my God, Shaw, calm down. Can't you just like be happy with where you're at? And I'm like, I am happy with where I'm at, but that doesn't mean I won't be happy. I just keep moving forwards, right? Like we're a long time dead. I've got no guarantee that there's another life. I've got no guarantee I'm coming back. So genuinely, I want to create as many experiences and memories of, as possible whilst I'm here. And not everything I do is going to work. And I'm, I'm genuinely all right with that. Um, and the other side is that I hold myself publicly accountable. So right now I am starting a big fitness campaign and I want to get into the best shape of my life. And, and that isn't about weight, it's, it's more about absolute fitness levels. And uh, so I tell everyone, 
And then everybody holds me accountable. I post how many miles I'm going to run. I post when I'm going to the gym. I post how much I'm going to lift in terms of my weights. And I genuinely believe that, but the same could be true if I said I was going to write a book, then I have to do it because everybody's, otherwise I'm going to look a bit stupid, right? And I hate (laughs) Okay, so you're saying you'll come on in two or three months time and uh, I won't recognize you because you're going to be just muscly. Yeah, I'll come on and I'll look like I'm entering one of those bronze bikini competitions. <laughs> okay, right. Well, I won't, uh, if, if if we're talking via Zoom again, I, I, I won't say you've got to wear a bikini, obviously. <laughs> um, but look, absolutely fascinating chat. Finally, you, your, your book in its new form, you've got to tell us all where we can get it. All right, well, it's called Stop Talking, Start Doing. It is available uh, all big WH Smith stores. So if you are going to the airport or a train station, I guarantee you'll be in there. And if you go quickly, it will be number one in the nonfiction charts. And you can help keep it at number one in the nonfiction charts. But if you're not near a WH Smith, just pop online, go to Amazon. And of course, it is available on Amazon, as all good books are. <laughs> all right, so look, thank you very much indeed for chatting. Absolutely thank fascinating. You, Loved it. Thank you, darling. The station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alka-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alka-Cells. Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells. Life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Addictions of all sort and alcoholism is a big problem in the UK. Chris Hill from Beat My Addiction helps those wanting to break any addiction and uh, I started off by asking him how many hospital emissions in the UK are due to alcohol addiction? Yeah I mean if, if we're talking hospital admissions you're talking tens of thousands. Um, I mean if you look at the bigger scale we're, we're looking at I don't know maybe 40 million adults in this country might be drinking alcohol you know once a week. I mean it's it's you know, I think it's like one one in five of us don't drink alcohol, you know. And if you actually look at the younger generation, the younger generation are not drinking alcohol. You know, they've sort of rejected alcohol because of the behaviour of their parents over the last 30 plus years, if that makes sense. So, so, so you know, in general, it's an, it's an older generation issue. Um, but, you know... Society is, has taught us, you know, our generation that we should be drinking alcohol. Alcohol is our is our pleasure, our crutch, our you know, our, our our route into adulthood, you know, and and you know, we've all drunk alcohol and got a good feeling from it, but we we're never actually talking about the consequences of alcohol, the losing of our inhibitions, our behavioural switches, our you know the, the the you know the people that have gone on and dr- drunk drive and and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of it is less now because you know our views about stuff is changing. But you know we've got decades and decades of problems and and illnesses and cirrhosis of the liver and stuff like that. But that tends to happen a long time after drinking. Sure. You know. You, you know it's more about the psychological issues that are going on with people and. You know, if we think about how many, you know, people are drinking alcohol, then think about how many people are taking antidepressants. You know, alcohol, and no one ever talks about this, 
alcohol, one is an addictive substance, but two, it's a depressant. So when you're drinking it, yeah, you get the, the, the effect of it. But when you're not drinking it, we feel depressed about the world. But so the feed- I, mean, I, I, I was going to say, say certainly drinking alcohol is just woven into the fabric of society, like you mentioned. So that there's, you know, lots of people drink and it's mm-hmm. pretty normal. But you said something that I'd like to pick up on, which I thought was quite interesting. Young children, not young children, okay, young yeah, adults, young adults are are drinking less because they're so horrified at the behaviour of their parents. So, are, are, are they just um, choosing other drugs? You know, what are they doing instead, or are they just uh, cleaner living and more healthy and all the better for it? Yeah, I mean, if you just if you just go back, I don't know, 40, 40, 50 years, you know, our parents were, you know, working class, you know, they used to go to a social club. I don't think, you know, drink wasn't abused the way it has been in the last 30 years. The problem that we've got is, is you know, mid, late 80s, you know, the recreational house music drugs came onto the scene that the the cannabis, the the LSD, the, the ecstasy, the cocaine, you know, so so we've grown up the last 30 years. If you looked at the last generation of the last 30 years, we're a generation of abuse stuff. You know, we really have. I mean, it's 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 very clear to see, you know, and the evidence that you can see by that is is that, you know, we have more people die now at the age of 50 plus than ever before recorded in history. And, you know, scientists are baffled going, we don't understand it, but we understand it that, you know, if you abuse your body for so long, then eventually, you, you know, it's it's going to start to go wrong. So, so if you look to us as youngsters, looking at our parents, they weren't abusing alcohol. So, so what tends to happen is the younger generation end up doing the opposite of what their older peers are doing so so our parents didn't abuse it our generation did but now our kids are looking at us over the last 30 years and thinking i don't want to be that way and that's why you know evident to that is why the drinks industry have brought out all these non-alcoholic drinks now which are a wash because they're trying to serve the younger generation they know that they're not going to take the drug you know and to try and answer your other question unfortunately yes the younger generation are now looking for different fixes and 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 that's coming in the way of um you know the laughing gas the balloons you know these little canisters that they're taking. Those, yeah. um they're taking cannabis which is which is on a massive increase you know unfortunately with cannabis it causes psychosis they're going for a cheaper drug called ketamine so so ketamine is a horse tranquilizer um but it causes like a numbing feeling you know, it spaces people out, they become completely calm, but it's highly addictive. And unfortunately, the 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 effects of the drug on the body is, is that the drug crystallizes in the bowels. And so we've got like young teenagers now that that because it shrinks the bowel, it affects the bladder. We've got, you know, teenagers now with the bowel size of like an eight-year-old. And, you know, unfortunately, some are needing colostomy bags, some need bowel transplants, okay. you know, and, and the, the timeline to that is, you know, between three and seven years. So so if, you know, a young person's been using for that long, I mean, look, we I took recreational drugs for 20 years. If I was taking ketamine back when I started, I mean, I probably wouldn't be here. or I would have had bowel transplants or, you know, major you know bodily issues if that makes so sense there's potentially a, a massive problem being stored up uh for not that many years down the line with uh, young use young users of ketamine by the sounds of things yeah i mean i mean i, I would say we are uh, epidemic already it's just hidden the same as my lifestyle growing up you know i we we you know people think drug at you know drug addicts or you know alcoholics and that you know, people think it's down and outs and 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 you're dependent and you're using every day. It's not that. It, it's all of these drugs are being used recreationally. So it's hidden. You know, it's not spilling out into the open. These kids, these adults, people are working. You know, these are functioning people. But in the background, they're suffering with the mental health, the physical health. 
you know, the monetary, the debt, the, you know, the, the, the whole list of the consequences are going on in the background. But anyone looking outwardly in it is not seeing it. You know, it's not the drunk with a bottle and a, and a brown bag sitting on a pavement. It's it's it's, you know, the the, the society is, is using, but it's being done recreationally. So it's being sure. hit. And, you know, the problems are not coming out. Like I said to you, you know, we're seeing the consequences of 30 years of usage with, with lots of 50 year olds dying now. But you know, with okay, the young, let, let, let me let me just in, interrupt you there. So I'm I'm a pretty boringly normal average bloke, right? So I, I'm 56, yeah. and um, I for probably the last 10 or 15 years, I might have had a glass or two of wine five nights a week. Absolutely. Now, yeah. I bet there are a lot of people out there just like me. Now, I would certainly wouldn't call myself an addict at all because I, you know i do go for periods quite long periods when i don't have anything to drink at all but um you know you start adding that lot up that's quite a lot and the fact is if you drink a glass or two of wine most days for 10 years you start to get fat now i've just <laughs> I've, I've just suddenly thought hang on a moment you're now fat you've got to do something about that but do you think there's I'm, I'm potentially facing more of a problem than just been a bit fat. So, look, there's lots of things going on. You know, if we're just talking about health, okay, when you, you know, I don't want to frighten viewers, listeners, um, you know, off drinking alcohol. Look, you know, drinking alcohol, let's not see it as a problem. But look, every time you put alcohol into your system, alcohol is a poison to the body. All right. It's not a natural source of, of 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 nutrition or anything else. So when you put it in, it goes in as a poison. Your immune system then has to fight the poison. So if you're putting it in five days a week, your immune system is constantly trying to get rid of alcohol, get rid of alcohol. If you wasn't putting alcohol into your body, then your your immune system would repair your body. So, so if it's fighting alcohol all the time, it's not repairing your body. So your body needs regeneration. It needs to heal itself. When you sleep, your body's healing itself. But if you're drinking alcohol throughout that night, it's not healing the body. It's just trying to get rid of the alcohol. So, so you know, stop October and, and, and things like this are good things for the body to start healing itself. But also it's a good time for people to start thinking about their habits, their, their behavior, you know, what about getting back to our natural state of being? I mean, we, we were born with 27 different emotions to experience life. We All we're doing with alcohol is suppressing them. So we suppress our human nature, our being, you know, just to get a fix of, of the high of alcohol. But the high is, is a perceived high because it's only taking you back to where you were. You know, and then when you're not drinking it, we go back to a lower emotional state waiting for our next drink. So, so it's natural for people to drink every night because it makes us feel good. But the feeling good is coming from a state of lower emotions, which is the side effects of the alcohol. If you remove the alcohol, you go back to your natural state of being, which is a high, and then you don't need it. And then your body can do what it's meant to do, and you can live a much healthier lifestyle. Right, okay. I think you might have just answered it in, that, in, in what you just said, but I, did, I wanted to ask you what kind of happens in addiction? So... You know, if, I, if I'm having two glasses of wine every night or, or maybe more, you know, perhaps, you know, I really am have become dependent on alcohol. What is, is this like a physical dependency or a mental dependency or, or a mixture of the two? And the, the, the reason I kind of ask that is because sometimes you get that feeling when, you, you know, you've had a really busy day. And you think, oh, God, I just fancy a beer, you know, and you, you open a beer and you have a first glug of beer and you ah. That's better. Uh, That's got to be mental because there's not enough time for any alcohol to get into your blood then. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, that, yeah. So so 95% of addiction is psychological, yeah? And I know a lot of people will question that and say, no, but there's a physical dependency. And if you look at an alcoholic, you know, they're physically shaking and that. So there's, you know, I understand all of that, but but 95% is psychological it's a psychological problem we we have wired our minds you know our neuro pathways and associated alcohol with good times bad times celebrations commiserations you know when you're stressed when you when you need to you know 
we've associated alcohol with so many things. So your brain is hardwired now to drinking. So, so if you just said, right, I'm just going to stop drinking, you can make that conscious choice. But the system, the brain, it can't, it doesn't understand. It can't just switch off. You know, we have to break down these neuro pathways. We have to start creating new experiences, new memories and stuff like that. But, but before you can break down you know the the psychological part you've got a subconscious mind which is like your survival mechanism which feels the dependency of the body like hunger or thirst i you know the survival but it sees alcohol as the same so you have a very powerful force inside of you that says that you have to drink and, and you know and if you try to stop eating or drinking for 24 hours you would find it very very difficult and it's the same for alcohol you know and when people do stop october i think for a lot of people there is a realization of dependency and even though they're recreational there is a want and need they're thinking about alcohol every single day for those 30 days and and the relief they get when they actually drink at the end of the month is so amazing that they think i'm never going to stop drinking but the bit that they're missing is that there there's a there's an addiction there there's a dependency and unfortunately the longer you drink the more you're going to feel bad or depressed about the world and hence that's why we either look for other recreational drugs or antidepressants or or sugar or caffeine or food i mean there's so many addictions i mean you know we could talk all day about addictions but all right well let, let, let's try and keep it uh right. simple <laughs> as simple as we can sort of addictions in general but kind of majoring on alcohol i guess now you you all my guests know what they're talking about you know what you're talking about you have overcome addiction so and now you help others to do so so you know if if you were talking to someone like me who you know said right they don't want to drink forget yeah. these two glasses of wine a day or it might be more it might be you know might be drinking a lot more yeah um, how, how do you help others kind of get over this because you you mentioned that if people stop drinking for 30 days you know october um some of them you know that's not enough they're desperate to have a to have a glass of wine at the end of that so you know this is this is not um easy to overcome so chris how do you help people yeah so the, the way that we help people and it's something i discovered i don't know maybe 20 years ago was was the separation model so the separation model is is who we are consciously and how your mind and body work. I thought that my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions were me. And so when I got an urge, I would act on that urge. But but through, you know, study and therapy and everything else, I now realize that consciously I'm independent of mind and body. So what I mean by that is my thoughts, my wants and needs are actually coming from a system that's not me. And once you recognize the separation model, we, we teach people a self-talk technique, which forms a reprogramming of the mind, which switches off the trauma. And what I mean by that is switches off the physical want and need to, to act. So, so at the end of that month, you know, they do stop October. Everybody's using willpower. So willpower will not get rid of an addiction. At the end of the month, they either use or they carry on their, their, their trauma of wanting something but not actually having it. So what we do is we teach through education the way to switch off the want and need. And then we start to work on the neuro pathways, memories and experiences. And I suppose after six to 12 months, you know, they built up a new set of neuro pathways and now the brain operates on a free level instead of a dependency to alcohol. So that's the basic, you know, way that we teach people. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like um, a, a very simple explanation of something that might be quite uh, complicated and difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, look, it's a simple model, but what we're dealing with is your mind, which is very complex. So, so just making a decision to stop is not enough. That's the, we call it the willpower method. What we need is a reprogramming of the mind. We we have to switch off the trauma. You, you know, people are fighting against the system. They're fighting against. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat. It's like a diet. You know, how long can you go for a diet? A week, a month, three months, you lose the weight, but then you eat, 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 and you put it all back on again. We've got to stop dieting. What we need is education and and and, and a map to, to, to show people the way out of this. But but just know that there's no real in-between. You know, you, you either drink or you don't. 
There's no, there's no such thing as social drinking. Even at social drinking, there's still a dependency. But look, I'm not trying to get everyone to stop drinking. But what I would be saying is if you perceive there to be a problem, then reach out because we can help. You know, but for everyone else, you can live and die drinking alcohol and it never really become a problem like yourself. You know, OK, I'll put a bit of weight on, but, you know, you can do a diet and lose some of the weight. You know, if you're happy with your drinking, then then just carry on. But the people that come to me to, to us, we, we release them from the burden of alcoholism and return them to their natural state of being, which is which is a high, which is which is calm. And they live the rest of their life in, in, in a higher emotional state. I mean, that's basically what it is so people have a choice but if people don't know they've got a choice they carry on drinking yeah no i mean it, it does sound uh, very appealing do you do you keep in touch with your your uh customers or clients or patients so, so, yes yeah, so, so yes we, we we stay in touch with clients you, you know like i said we put people on a journey it's a journey it's not a quick fix it's not a magic wand not a magic pill it's, it's someone deciding that they want a life change uh, and then we go on this journey with them. And at some point we leave that path and they carry on their journey of life and, and hopefully get the best out of what life offers. We've got this beautiful world out here, but but our world becomes very small when it's just opening a bottle every night and, and we lose our sense of being in the world and stuff. So it's, it's good to be sober. <laughs> that sounds like a, a very good um, phrase to, to finish on. But if, if people are listening to this and thinking, you know what, I'd like to explore this a little bit more. And they are concerned that some of their habits, you know, have become uh, addictions. Uh, how can they get hold of you or find out a bit more um, about addiction in general, uh, about Beat My Addictions, which is your company? You know, what, what is a good source, good sources of information, Chris? I mean, there's three ways that you can find me on Amazon. Um, I uh, offered a book. It's called Get Your Life Back, The Road to Freedom from Addiction. So that's on Amazon. Um, our company is beatmyaddictions.com. So if you just come to our website, you can fill out a, a form and, and we can see how we can help there. Or we have a charity set up in the name of my brother, Rob Hill. So it's robhillfoundation.org. Um, and there you'll see our charity services and free services and stuff like that. But whatever situation or, or, or place that you might be in, there is there is there is a way that we can help. And, and yeah, just come and find us at beatmyaddictions.com. Perfect. Chris, thank you very much indeed for chatting. It's an important subject. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, been lovely speaking to you, Mike. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed to my guests on this week's show. And they were Shah Wasman talking about lots of things, but specifically about her rewrite of her book, Stop Talking and Start Doing. And Chris Hill from Beat My Addiction. And of course, a big thank you to you for listening. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.